Under the Controlled Substances Act and Corollary State Law, the growth, trafficking, sale, possession, or consumption of psychedelics may be a felony punishable by imprisonment, fines, forfeiture of property, or some combination thereof. Psychedelical X is for general information only. Information provided on the show does not constitute legal advice, nor does your listening to the show create an attorney-client relationship with the host. Hello, I'm attorney Gary Smith, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Psychedelic Alex, The Law of Psychedelics, my ongoing exploration of the question of the law of psychedelics. You know, growing up in a, how I got to this, this, this juncture in life where we're building these, you know, what I do is I build ethical, emotional, functional, functional, sustainable platforms to elevate the collective and tribe mind, body, and soul. So, um, you know, I... I used to work in nightlife. I used to be in the club business. And now I have my cannabis brands, which are all based on our spirituality. And we just launched the um, uh, stem cell company in Colombia. But we're actually what we're doing there is um, we're the first company that we're what we're calling is connecting the wheel between regenerative medicine and ancestral medicine. So while we have the forward facing stem cell business, we are launching the retreat side of the business, which will incorporate uh yahe ayahuasca and with taitas from colombia because for our modalities of healing and how i sort of not that i was ever addicted to anything but how i sort of changed my life from that partying alcohol high level executive to this was, was through you know first ancestral medicine and then through um and then through uh through stem cells and um you know i grew up in this household where my dad was uh, a new york city probation officer but he was also the neighborhood we'd connect and um, did astrology and laying on of hands. And my mother was a, a, a prominent psychic in New York. And so people in our house, we didn't have a lot of money, but people would come to our apartment in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, and they would get served medicine and sit in guided meditation. And I started doing guided meditation since I was a little kid and sort of veered away from it into getting, you know, got into the material aspect of the world in my, you know, life. And then, um, you know, um, graduated college and uh, went, you know, lived, went in my, was living in Miami and working in nightlife, went, moved back to New York. And my first day, first hour of work was 9-11 in the World Trade Center. <sighs> yeah, for Lehman Brothers. So it was my first hour. Mm. Uh, the plane hit 20 floors above me outside my window. Oh, God. plane. And um, sort of was a, a, a turning point in my life. I was really never one to get on the train or get with the program, as they would say. Um, I'll go with the flow, but I won't get with the program. Um, I don't believe in programming. And, um, and then in 2016, when I left the alcohol business and got into cannabis to build my healing platforms, specifically higher frequencies, which is based on the Silvagio frequencies and the chakras, we pull the whole plant botanicals and we blend those with THC which actually is that, that for those botanicals vibrate at that frequency and align that chakra. Um, but realistically, all of these medicines are, are training wheels, right? To, to get us closer back to our spirituality. And I think we're at a point now where people's frequencies, you know, are finally above 200, which is not great. But prior to that, you know, prior to 85, we were below 200 as a globe. 
and um, you know, 500 is love. Um, Gandhi operated at 700, and you know that that's our goal with all of these medicines is is to raise people's frequency, right? Um, and to get people to get people out of this. You know, money's good, materialism's good, but unfortunately, the world is in a place of disassociation and hate right now, and it's a sad thing. And it's um, that that's you know, I was sitting, I was at Equinox running yesterday, and. You know, the poison is the TV. The poison is the news. The poison is not just the heroin and the opiates, right? The mm. poison is the messaging that's going on right now. And it's our job to really, as um, higher level thinkers, whether you believe in Huxley's philosophy of that we should only be the ones experiencing ancestral and trickle down, or Timothy Leary's, I'm not here to debate which philosophy is right. Um, whoever needs to be awakened will be awakened. And unfortunately, a lot of people are possessed by. I don't, I don't believe in like a hell, but these demonic energies, which are these lower frequencies, right? And so that's our job as intellectuals, as purveyors with the medicine to try to help people elevate that. Yeah. For sure. Uh, but by the way, <laughs> answering your question uh, before you said all that, um, yeah, that's exactly what the show is about. Um, it's psychedelical X, it's the law of psychedelics, but I look at this from every possible angle and facet because there's a connection no matter where you're looking at this. I, I kind of envision if you need a metaphor here that psychedelics is like a gem, but it's got infinite facets. And every time you turn that gem around in your hand and you look at a different facet, a whole new world opens up. So there's no aspect that I think is unfair or, or unworthy of being explored. So, yeah, 100%. Everything you just said, spot on, perfect for the show. And point of fact, I just consider the interview started already because everything you said was so damn fantastic. <laughs> but let's, let's pause for a moment and get you properly introduced, even though we've already started talking. So you are Isaiah Orlin. You are a fellow lawyer, fellow member of the Psychedelic Bar Association. And that's how you and I met was at the Psychedelic Bar. And you're also on the Law and Regulatory Committee, uh, of which I am also a part of. And uh, we started talking and ended up inviting you on the show because you just have taken such a non-traditional path in your career, especially with the law license, no less, which is even more interesting. And I'm fascinated by all of that. So we can talk about anything you want, Isaiah. This is going to be an excellent, excellent hour, I suspect. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you for having me on the show. And I appreciate for, you know, you giving me a voice to express my thoughts on spirituality and psychedelics and the convergence of um, where we're at today in the world and where we're going. Because, you know, that's that's really what, what this is about. We can talk about crafting laws and we can talk about... Um, all of these different things, but you know, action speaks louder than words. And if you sit in an office and you don't really bring the message to the people, it's not really doing anything. For sure. Uh, I'll also share with you, if you don't know this already, I'm also former New Yorker myself. I, I was oh, born, wow. born and raised in Westchester. Um, couldn't get out of there fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ended up going upstate for college, and then uh, as soon as I graduated college, I went straight west to, to California for law school, and then uh, ended up here in Arizona. So, I've Right. Oh, been, wow. been in practice for blur, almost 30 years now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. I never practiced a day in my life. Uh, you know, it's so ironic. I went to law school swearing I would never practice. I didn't want to. It was not my desire. Yeah. Uh, the problem was when you're signing all those student loan uh, promissory notes, nobody tells you what life is going to be like 
on the other side of that. So what happened to me is what happened to so many people. And it's really timely considering um, the, the student loan forgiveness thing in the news this week. But yeah, I got out of law school with this massive student loan debt. And the only way to pay for it was to go practice law. So, you know, 30 years later, I'm <laughs> still in the trenches looking for different ways to uh, explore it. Um, it's been a love-hate relationship with the career, but I can say on the positive side, being a lawyer lets me visit with so many different careers because as I represent clients, I have to get into their headspace, get into their business, learn it, know it, and experience it in order to help them. So in a weird way, I've had hundreds of careers over my career. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So that's that's the positive stuff, kids at home thinking of going to law school. Uh, we, we can tell you about all the long hours and weekends and holidays you're going to sacrifice doing it, but that's another show. Well, it's an interesting thing. It puts you into everything, as as Al Pacino said in The Devil's Advocate, right? Yes. Um, but um, unfortunately, um, where we have not us in terms of the people who are in the Psychedelics Bar Association, because I find that to be extremely different, but where, where I've seen the vast majority of law go is – anti-business and anti-progression and that that's that's sad sometimes you know what i mean in terms of um you know what what is actually taught in law school and how lawyers actually you know activate but you know it's beautiful to see to be a part of the pba and to see the 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 opposite of that to see people who truly care about the human condition truly care about each other truly care about healing which is what the law should be about how to heal people and help people have access to the things their needs and look there's no such thing as an even playing field this idea this word equality that we talk about where our souls are all on our different journey we're all here at different points in our in our spirits evolution and we're all here to face different challenges in order as you know in the jewish religion they call it the tikkun to grow your to grow your soul right we're all here different so this idea of us all being equal is, is actually not real and it's something that's not that not beneficial for us to focus on Everyone should have the right to fulfill their life's soul's mission. That should be the conversation, right? Um, when we talk about equality or this in, in life or money or this, it's not realistic because we all have different levels of intelligence and we're all born into different things, right? And I am of the belief, while I am Jewish and it's my tribe, I study Hinduism and Buddhism and all of these religions ultimately are man-made and really we're talking about spirituality, that idea that there's a spirit in us greater than greater than the being, right? And how do we connect to that? And the religions, you know, for me, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, very connected to spirituality, um, very connected to the thought process of that and that energy spectrum. Um, but when religion is weaponized, whether to control the human being or to control populations or to express hate against other populations, it's not religion and it's going down below that 200 frequency into despair and anger and anxiety and to mask it as religion is a sad, sad thing because people put that word on something and they automatically want to think positive when that's not where we're at today with these religions. So it's my hope that with the psychedelics and those training wheels, you know, we quote unquote the psychedelic training wheels is that people can get reconnected to their spirit and understand, okay, I can look at these books and they can be guidance in my life. But ultimately, if it's not vibrating with my energy, then maybe it's not really what the preacher is saying or the or the person on the pulpit is saying, right? Maybe I have to reconnect to that because ultimately all the religions do carry the same messages, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, all, they all carry the same message, love, right? Most of these people's religion was love, 
but then it was weaponized. And, and that's sort of what we're seeing go on in the world. And I think, you know, from a political standpoint, it's what they want because it keeps the wealth and the power at the top when people are fighting at the bottom. And it, you know, it doesn't allow people to question, okay, what am I actually here to do? I'm not actually here to fill my bike account. I'm not actually here to buy all these cars and watches. I'm here actually to grow my spirit and to be a part of this larger collective energy. And at least that's my belief, right? Um, whereas I grew up with nothing and then I had money and then I went on this entrepreneurial quest and, you know, I've been in my own struggles through life, but, you know, society's at a place where we need more people such as yourself and people in the Psychedelic Bar Association who are taking that hard look, um, not only at themselves, but at society as a whole and saying, how do we get to a better place? And look, I, I, I do ayahuasca and these things, but I can take myself there in the yoga, in the yoga, you know, movements, right? You can take yourself into these situations because ultimately you're harnessing that energy, the plants, the medicine allows you to connect and might take some of that, that gunk that has built up in your nadis and your energy channels and dispel it. But ultimately you always have the energy in you to get there. It's a matter of reconnecting to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will say that if, if you've never had these experiences, everything you've just said, Isaiah, I think is going to be so lost on, on outsiders who haven't had those moments because they don't have a metaphor that they can connect in their own experience. But I get it because I've, I've had deep meditation sessions. I've had uh, psychedelic experiences and I know what the difference feels like. So spot on. Um, you commented uh, a little bit ago about TV being this source of, of negativity. And I was having exactly that thought earlier this week because I was watching the news with everything that's going on. How do you, how do you avoid it? And it made me realize that I'm, as I'm sitting there pondering this, like people complain about some news channels being disinformation. They're not giving honest material out there. They're spinning it and they're, they're torturing it in ways to influence people. And it made me wonder why we've never heard anybody speaking in, in terms of what's on TV, not as to its content, but rather as to the emotion that it's trying to induce in the viewer. Because that's ultimately what the goal is. It's just not spoken out loud. And yeah, I could mention networks, but I think I don't have to. So... I'd say all, not some. Uh, fair, fair, <laughs> um, fair, uh, fair. But think, you know, like a PBS think, News, I think, is much more okay. neutral. I, 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 yeah, yeah, you know, and even, you know, some others there that have some. But, you know, the left's gone too far left. The right's gone too far right. And 100%. They, all, they all want to manipulate people's um, reactions and actions, right? Um, and I do think the news is poison, right? And I, I just finished this book, Power vs. Force, by Dr. Kellogg. That must have been written, I think, in 2007. But it talks about, um, and I always pronounce this wrong, behavioral kinesiology and how your body can show you when your, your frequency is essentially weakened by the information you're taking in, right? And for me, this was a big turning point because I grew up listening to hip-hop and rock music and all these great things. And I grew up, me and my dad, we didn't go to sporting events. We started going to concerts when I was six, right? And the music of the 70s, full of love, 60s, full of love. And then we had this turning point. By, by the way, had, your dad was way cooler than my dad. <laughs> <laughs> we had this, yeah, we had this turning point. I don't know about that, but we had this turning point where um, 
it was programmed. The amount of the, what what the what the A and R's were promoting was more disassociation, materialism, negativity, and we see it at a at a large crux today with hip hop, right? Because I I grew up on Tribe Called Quest and all this great stuff, but in reading Dr. Kellogg's book about power versus force and talking about the frequencies and music and what you're putting into your ears and how it physically you can do tests on your body on how this stuff physically weakens you, right? It made me have to readdress what I listen to. And I already was readdressing what I watch, right? But now I even have to readdress what I put into my ears, right? And look, nobody's perfect. We all, we all, we're, we're humans having, we're, we're spirits having a human experience. So we're gonna have these emotions. We're not, we're not Gandhi at 700, you know, you know, at the frequency of 700. We're not, you know, none of our, not all of us are Einstein's at the 499s, right? But um, to recognize it and say, you know what? I'm falling into a depressive state and I'm listening to this music or I'm watching this TV or I'm having this anxiety. What if I turned it off for the next week? Mm. And what if I just gave myself, we're so cognizant right now of, of food and what we put into our mouths, right? But we're not so cognizant of what we're putting into our ears and our ears and eyes. And if there are the five senses, right? You know, in, in the Hindu philosophies and yoga philosophies, the five senses are what really keep us in that human form when you, get to that transcendence level. It's really a detachment of the five senses, right? So if we think about that and they keep us in the human form, then we also have to think about, well, what are we putting into those five senses and what are we taking in? And look, we're here. I can't avoid everything. When I'm on the treadmill at the gym and the TVs are in front of me, I can't avoid looking at them, right? Um, but I be cognizant of how I process that information. And when I do have the option not to process, not to take in certain information in my, in my senses or sounds in my ears, I have to be more cognizant of that. And I think we all did. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, too. And I think that's relatable to everybody. You know, pick pick uh, any movie you like. Now go watch that movie, but turn the soundtrack completely off. Correct. Do you experience it the same way? I highly doubt it. Hollywood has known for years that the soundtrack makes the movie. Of course. Of course. I mean, the music in Goodfellas, right? <laughs> Sure. Or you take something like super popular, like Star Wars, you know, the, like the, the big duel scene between like uh, Darth Vader and Luke. Take the music away. It's a it's boring couple of guys whacking each other with sticks for two minutes. That's it. Which which goes back to the idea that we are energy and everything is frequencies. Right. Yeah. And and the ultimate manipulation is how the powers that be process certain frequencies into your body. Right. So if you think of some music that has a very, very low beat, right? That's marching frequency. That's getting the drones in order. That's, you know, getting the sheep in line. That's dulling your, getting you into depression and anxiety states, right? Um, you know, there's no perfection to this. There's nothing as being a perfect human. We're all here having the experience, but I think, um, you know, where this intertwines back to our conversation about law, is that there's a reason they want these these medicines not legal because this is exactly the the awakening that this gives like in my versus okay the tough guy from brooklyn new york who like was an executive in vegas and you know a high earner and just real aggressive you know and then but had the spiritual side but had deterred from it but then got reintroduced and a, a good portion of it had to do with the training wheels of ayahuasca and the the training wheels of 5-MeO-DMT and, you know, the access I have to psilocybin, which unfortunately, like my family always tells me, like, you know, whether it was me going to clubs or me having access to the medicines, um, I have a way of finding unprecedented access into things. Most people do not. 
And I think the biggest mission that why I align with the PBA is while I don't practice law, I'm on the business side, is I want people to have access. So not that they can drop out, but actually so that they can drop in, right? So that they can reawaken who they are and how they can be a part of society to help each other heal. Because ultimately, you know, money's a dopamine hit, food's a dopamine hit. If you can't turn within and find the love and give the love, that's the only thing that's not really a dopamine hit. And that is actually a process of feeling elation. Everything else to me is like, you know, I'm not saying that food is no different than heroin or buying a car is no different than heroin, but it stimulates the same receptors in a fashion that is um, de minimis over time. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk a bit about the, um, since I'm, I've got a law. <laughs> This podcast. Let's talk a little bit about the 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 use of your degree for other purposes. Because I I try to talk often as I can about alternative career uses and job opportunities in this emerging space. And you're talking about a paradigm shift altogether in how people think and approach life in its totality, and resultingly, I, I would assume how they go about commerce. Correct. Um, all of which is great, but. I think most people are, are unaware that there are lots of opportunities that are opening in front of them. So can we, can we talk a bit about that? Of course. So, so as I mentioned, you know, my experience of going to law school was, was a slight knee jerk reaction to me being in the towers on nine 11 and, and not really like trying to figure out what I wanted out of life and, um, you know, having the ability to get a scholarship to law school. And I got to law school and I was, um, wasn't disenfranchised, but I was a little, little taken back that that many people who went to law school didn't have really a basis of traditional business work or hadn't been in negative situations, and they were commenting on how people behave in a criminal situation or a civil situation, um, um, and in a business situation, they were very concerned about the ambiguity versus the underlying business deal and how people get back to center. Um, so I doubled up with my master's in business. Um, and at the time I was working, a, I was helping alcohol companies um, infiltrate the clubs on South Beach in Miami and uh, was always on the branding side and in the, the streetwear experience in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, I passed my Florida bar and I just um, I had the opportunity where because I had scholarships and some other things that I did not have to run to go get, as you had mentioned in your situation, you know, to run and get so, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed in that scenario. Um, but, you know, part of me always think, well, what if I had practiced law? I'd be established now. I have, you know, but who knows, right? What if, what if, what if, who knows, right? Um, and, you know, I think for me personally, it was, I was a business person before I went to law school. I was, I, when I graduated college, my, I went to go work on the markets, you know, at Lehman Brothers. I was on the mortgage desk for the year after 9-11 in 2001 and 2002. So business was always my thing, hustling and all this stuff. Um, but the law ultimately is the basis for all of this, right? It's It provides the guidelines on how you operate. So um, I think getting a law degree and then going into the business world can be extremely beneficial if you are going to be a high operator, right? Because it allows you to, even if you don't practice, it allows you the process and the thought process. Because law school 
even though you don't learn to practice law in school, you do learn a different way of thinking. Right. Oh, for, and for sure. For I sure. think for me, you know, the combination of the JD MBA was almost like taking French and Italian at the same time. You see the disassociation of the conversation because the, the business of law is not aligned with the business of business most of the time. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm going to say something that might offend some lawyers, but it's about billable hours and it's about practice and this, unless you're coming from the right heart centered space and it's about actually solving the problem, right. Or getting the person out of prison who is unjustly incarcerated, right. Or are trying to balance those scales. And I hope that law is moving towards that. Right. But law is also sometimes a competitive sport and the lawyers forget that there's underlying people's lives that are at stake. Right. Um, because we're concerned about the win versus the underlying people. Right. So, um, for me, you know, because I had the spiritual background, the business background, it it was a good base, but I was always going back into that. You know, I did go work for corporate America after I went, I was the first partnership person in Las Vegas for Las Vegas Sands. I was the director of corporate partnerships and strategic alliances. Um, you know, and then for Southern wine and spirits, which is the largest alcohol distributor in the country. So, I sort of, you know, followed that, like I said at the beginning of that idea of like, uh, you know, I'm not really one to get with the program or get on the train. Um, and law, I think, allows you to be a, a high level thinker and take that alternative path. And more importantly, you know, my sister, she's one of the best SEC entertainment lawyers I've ever met in my life. And when we do business on our businesses, it's easier for me to say, hey, Melissa, this is what I'm looking for. These clauses are what I'm looking for because I understand law, right? And saying, okay. And then she'll say to me, well, did you read the operating agreement I drafted? And I said, no, because you're the lawyer, right? <laughs> it's like, but I said, did you put, if you put in what you, I know my intention because we're brothers and sister and we, and we have love at anything. I know you put my intention into it already and I don't need to read it. And ultimately like, Unfortunately, the only time we should be looking at a contract again is when problems arise, and I would hope problems don't arise, which is not the situation in most business deals. Um, So it allows you to ebb and flow as a business person in the business world. The law degree allows you to ebb and flow in a different matter. You know, it makes you a different type of Navy SEAL, makes you a different type of, um, you know, you know, weapon, right? Um, and unfortunately, um, business is a full contact sport and you need as much padding as weapons as, as, as you can get. For sure, for sure. Although I can t- attest as a litigator, uh, litigation is definitely a full contact sport too. Uh, horrendously full contact. Yeah. Um, just sort of uh, digging into my own personal experiences, a different path than you took. I, I went straight from college, straight to law school, straight into law practice. I had no uh, business experience whatsoever. I was purely an academic going into a pure academic endeavor, but now having to behave and perform competently on behalf of a variety of businesses who are my clients. And I had to learn all of those, you know, as I commented earlier in the conversation over the last 30 years, it's been a nice deep dive and I've learned so many different things from so many different industries, but in the early days, Oh my God, I don't think I slept for about a decade. I spent most nights up freaking out, worrying and just trying to read and study and learn. Um, yeah, if you, if you were to like, take the litmus, like a literal litmus of my, my thirties. Yeah. I was a ball of anxiety and it's all because of that. that. But in business too, you're not, you know, like, um, 
you don't know, excuse my language, you don't know shit when you're in business, right? Like every yeah. day I'm, I'm encountering problems now as I get older, my reactions are different and I process differently and I can look back on other experiences. But that's the thing about business. The only way to learn is to do and make mistakes, right? Fail fast, fail often. Yeah, and, and for my desk the last 30 years, because again, pretty much almost all I do is litigation, all I ever see are the mistakes and the things that go sideways or wrong. So that has been my view of everything for decades. So yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting experience nonetheless. And you try to align with people's energies more often as you get older on the business side of things. But unfortunately, sometimes you just got to do business with people, right? And you can create all the worry box contracts you want, but that person is going to turn on a dime because they ethically are not in the right space. I mean, you have no option. And unfortunately, um, the person who is ethically in the right state space doesn't always, you know, this as a litigator mm. doesn't always win, you know, it's just not how it works out. Yeah. And the, the, that's always a disappointment to have to tell clients. And I always tell them, you know, I, I don't call it the justice system. I call it the legal system. I, yeah. I honestly don't know what justice is. Good, well, I mean, good, look, good luck defining it. It's subjective to the individual in the circumstance. We're speaking about the lack of access. The fact that plants are illegal is ludicrous unto itself, right? 100%. I mean, the idea that anything that was put on this earth by, quote unquote, all these religious people, God, God, God. Okay, God put something here and you're going to make it illegal. That's a little crazy. Mm -hmm. and it's, but we're there, right? And mm -hmm. we're there because it would, you know, once again, it comes down to laws and who's paying for the laws to be written, Right. And we are in a pharmaceutical complex in this country. The pharmaceutical companies built the medical system. The medical schools fund are funded by them. And we've built this whole system. So when we talk about, you know, moving away from SSRIs or Xanax or these highly addictive, terrible, terrible medicines and getting people on psilocybin, which after 30 days, they don't need to go to the doctor anymore. And it's a plant that grows. Or we talk about stem cell regeneration, which is illegal here in the U.S., where most umbilical cords are thrown out. It's waste, right? And this is the life force and would basically do away with surgery, but it would collapse the current medical market. So if we go to the, if we go back, follow the money, right? And we follow the money, follow the money, follow the money. We see how laws and why laws are written, whether that's the tobacco industry or the alcohol industry I was in or the pharmaceutical industry or the oil and gas industry follow the tech industry, you follow the money. And unfortunately, the money when we start talking about health is not projecting the most viable path for humans to achieve, right? I mean, we just went through a major health war where everyone was talking about science, science, science. And it's like, who's science? Who funded the science, right? Nobody wants to, people like to throw out words. And as lawyers, we like to dig into what that actually means. But most people don't. They just take it for face value. So they use the word science and automatically it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's the right thing. Right. And I'm not going to I'm not debating what happened or whether people choose to what side they're on a vaccine. For me, it's your body. Do what you want. Right. As long as you're not harming me. Right. I just don't care. Right. As long as you're not harming yourself. Like, but that's also questionable. Right. Because. Ultimately, it's your body. So I really can't say it's really about harming, harming others to me, you know, yeah. and um, we're, we're, we're in a paradox now because the um, snowball and a lot of these businesses that dictate how we handle our health 
has already left the hill and there has to be enough of us to punch the snowball as it's at the bottom of the hill to readdress how we're looking at these things. Yeah, I I agree. I I think a lot of the tension that is in the space right now is in the concepts that Western industrial medicine is prime and supposed to be taken as infallible. And I think both of those are grievous errors. Uh, you know, hundred percent. You know, modern Western industrialized medicine is exactly that. It's modern. It's recent. And I'm not speaking against it. Look, we've had some fantastic advances in Western medicine. If if you've ever had an MRI, well, that's because of Western medicine. And MRIs are great if you need them. So I'm not speaking against it. But but the concept that you exclusively have to go to somebody in a white lab coat who's got a medical degree in order to get whatever health care you need just seems to put way too much faith in what is effectively now uh, the modern medical priest. Because you're taking and, a lot of it on faith. Uh, and what, and once again, where did the funding come from, mm-hmm. right? Where did the funding come from? Where did the- where, where did the $4 billion building that the students at University of Pennsylvania work out of, the Moderna building, mm-hmm. where that funding come from? Moderna, okay? So it's like, I get it. The mRNA technology is interesting, but ultimately it was funded by the company. The research was funded by the company that has the most intent to see it a profitable type technology. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and any of these corporations, medical or, or pharmaceutical corporations that have shareholders and boards of directors, etc., under modern convention and law, their primary motivation is not medicine. It's profit. Oh, it's a stockholder. It's profit. It's a stockholder. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's not a metaphoric statement. That's the literal truth of it. Their primary motivation is profit. The fact that they happen to sell a medical product is entirely fungible and secondary. They could sell anything and would be happy to do so if they were making profit. It's about profit centers. And I'll highlight this for you one further to take it out of the medical realm to to make sure everyone understands this, right? When I was at the Venetian and Palazzo and I, I was a disruptor because every department was siloed, procurement, casino marketing, sales, right? And my point was that everything should really lead with partnerships. And what do I mean by that? If we're buying a widget for $100,000, $200,000, or $300,000, and they're all the same, procurement is going to buy the $100,000 widget, right? But the $300,000 widget comes with a $5 million convention at a 70% margin. And they're also willing to do joint marketing on their digital platforms with us. So the company, the stockholder, wants us to buy the $300,000 widget because financially it's better for the company. Procurement, because they're siloed and their profit and loss reporting was based on the 100000 Prior to me coming on board, they would have just bought the 100, right, in the RFP process, right? It's the same thing when we're talking about hospitals with machinery and they're looking at profit centers and ultimately it's either a public corporation or private, right? And if it's a public, as you said, it, it does, it's not really about the patient. It's just not. It's about how do we increase profits and how do we drive our stock price up and how do we balance the departments? Do we cut people here? Maybe there's a disruptor here that's going to disrupt the, the situation, right? And it's not, it's not about the patient, right? Yeah. Which is a little a bit of a hypocrisy because the ultimate oath the doctor takes is to do no harm. Right. So it's like, how do we get from there to here and how do we then 
with the psychedelics, like we're not going to change anything. And I'm not saying to your point, I'm not saying hospitals are bad, doctors are bad because like, you have a heart attack. Yeah, you, 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 you need an MRI. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. But ultimately, like, think about this. If you break an arm, they reset it. It's not the hospital fixing your arm. It's your body. Right. Your body is actually fixing you. Sure. Right. Uh, well, you're getting some assistance. But, yeah, your, your point is correct. Right. So, so, you know, I think the psychedelics for, for us, um, that's one aspect of um, I mean, the most important aspect. Well, not the most important, but the, but the major aspect is really dealing with the ills of society right now with anxiety, depression, PTSD, generational trauma, personal trauma. Like we carry these energies with us, right? I have my traumas from growing up, you know, lower middle class or whatever you might call or growing up in the type of beautiful household, but nonetheless, you know, very vibrant with colorful language in Brooklyn and Staten Island, right? But I also carry the trauma of like my family going to the ovens and the the de- the, the thousands of years of, you know, the of the Jewish people being killed and tortured and pushed around from place to place. And it's why we're resilient, right? Um, the psychedelics, but once again, Jewish, Jewish is just a title, right? I'm a human at the end of the day. I'm a spirit at the end of the day. And I think the psychedelics for those that can get into the space, it allows them to reconnect with that no matter what background they're from. Right. Um, yeah. For the, for, for the kids at home, you're talking about epigenetics. Yeah. 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 It's, it's in, it's in our, it's in our energy, you know? Yeah. Um, my fear though, and I've expressed this in the PBA is that we go from one insurance capture mechanism to another. And like, I, it's a plant, man. Like I, I don't go grow my own tomatoes, right? I don't go grow my own cannabis. Like I, I, always I, I do both of those, by the way. And, it's and I, I think we should all get there, right? But <laughs> I would love to have a farm. But I'm saying that there's, there's, there's an ability for this to live across the spectrum. There's an ability for them to study DMT and see that if they put a medical dose of it into somebody that it could regenerate their neurons after a stroke. Fantastic, right? But people should also be able to have a 5-MeO experience with a medicine worker in the right situation if that's what they choose to do. Yeah. People should also be able to sit with the taita in the jungle. This is, this is exactly my point, is to break the concept of exclusivity that there Western medicine currently claims and shouldn't claim. Western medicine is about compounding things, right? Um, right, Com- and that's great. commoditizing and and compounding the look. There's things in these in these plants that we need to learn how to compound, and right. I'm in total agreement with that. But I'm also in total agreement that I should be able to go to Whole Foods and buy a box of microdoses of psilocybin and understand what the strain is going to do and understand what the strain is used for. Right, I'm also in agreement that I should be able to sit in ceremony. Right. And then, yes, on the indigenous side, that, that brings up the whole other question. You know, we don't want to stress out the Sonoran bullfrog population. We don't want to stress out the growth of peyote in the Native American community. There's all these other considerations that we have to come into play. But the consideration should not be based on eliminating people's access because someone says, I don't want you thinking that way. Agreed. So that puts a fantastic segue to a project we're working on. 
So at the yeah. Psychedelic Bar Association, I've spoken about this on the show a few times, and I've actually recorded uh, a message to the Psychedelic Bar group. I haven't uh, finished editing it yet, but I'll, I'll get it up hopefully this weekend. Uh, but for folks at home who don't know this, the Psychedelic Bar Association has a bunch of subcommittees. One of them is the Law and Regulatory Committee. And several months ago, I pitched the group on this harebrained idea I've got of trying to create a model psychedelic medicine or not medicine, excuse me, but psychedelic act where we can sort of span the world between total prohibition and this, this lockdown regulation inside the FDA channels. And we've seen cannabis successfully repatriate itself outside those channels. And it's a vibrant industry right now. And you can criticize the industrial side of it, but what you can't criticize is that we've repatriated it and the sky hasn't fallen. So I think there's a proof and concept here. So what I'm hoping to do through the Law and Regulatory Committee's assistance and efforts over the next year, and Isaiah is part of this as well, is to try to craft the absolute best model body of law that any state could latch on to in its legislature, or if you're fortunate enough to live in those states that allow for public initiatives, you could run it as a campaign and vote it in at the citizen level. But the beauty is we've got literally the best minds on the planet available to us on these subjects. So to not take advantage and consult all of these and try to uh, anticipate and address all the potential problems and to script out well-worded statutes and well-worded regulations that can address all of this in a responsible, reasonable fashion. I mean, what a waste of an opportunity if we don't. So that's what we're heading towards right now. Have I, have, I, have I laid a good uh, intro to that, Isaiah? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the discussion from the legislation that, that we're talking about, when we start seeing laws like in Oregon and Colorado come to play, which is great. Like any law that, that promotes access, even if there's financial implications, even if there is hurdles to get there, we're still fighting the good fight, right? Yeah. Ideally, I think where I'm going to speak personally, I don't ever want to speak for the whole group, but ideally where I personally see, we look, we talk about cannabis in sectors, right? We talk about medicinal health and wellness and recreational, right? And I, look, recreational, we can still talk about psychedelics and recreational. I'm not going to knock it out the door, right? But ultimately, the real channels of access we're talking about are medical and health and wellness. And health and wellness should not be prescription-based, right? Health and wellness to me should be CPG, consumer product goods, mm-hmm. based, and should be um, ceremony-based, right? Um, there's, there's also the aspect of the amount of charlatans that are administering ceremonies now and putting some 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 guidelines around that right yes yes um you know sitting with an indigenous people on the land is very different than sitting in a garage in brooklyn um and especially who's administering that when your heart's open and when you know whether it's in an ayah ceremony and the akaros are being chanted or when you're you're out of pocket for those 20 minutes in a 5meo ceremony um you can't, you don't always, you need to make sure the administration of it is proper, but you also don't want to handcuff people from administering it. Yeah, right? I am so tickled that you took the conversation in that direction because I was looking at your resume before we jumped on and I noticed you got trained with Yoga Alliance. And I have been thinking about this for a long time that, yeah, we're going to need some level of standard uh, for 
call them facilitators or whatever the, the label is ultimately going to be. But yeah, if there's an intermediary between you and the substance, do you want just anybody? Do you want to know that they have some level of expertise or education or training so that you're not just dealing with these charlatans because those folks are very much real. And there's a reason in our language, we have terms like snake oil salesmen. Thousand percent. And, and, and yoga lines are great. Like I don't teach, right? I did that over COVID because I wanted to get my form better and it threw me back into my Hindu studies. Um, but yoga lines is a great, great example. Why a self-regulating organization exactly. that's an industry that the industry respects and turns to and by that code, is that code you know okay this person's been trained in the art now look there's mishaps in that and i'll explain it right in that i was getting injured in yoga why because yoga is a science it's not actually a religion right and the way you unlock your nadis there's a way to unlock your bodies and sometimes yoga instructors they teach out of sequence and you get injured for a reason because mm -hmm. you're not properly unlocking your muscles and your energy spectrum. So yep. even in that scenario, when someone's certified, you're going to have people They're not, but, but at the end of the day, they're not doing it in a malicious manner. It's just, they think they're doing a twist on it and they don't really understand that they're not in the essence of what it is. It's a well-intended innocent ignorance, right? but, but, but nonetheless, a mishap results. You have that warm and fuzzy sticker that someone can turn to and say, oh, this person was certified by the RYT. They put their 200 hours in. At least I know they have the tools to move forward. Yeah, exactly. And and just to expand the, the legal connection to that, uh, this is a place where I could envision some organization, maybe multiple organizations, creating some kind of a branded certification trademark where they ascribe to it whatever training or, or, or certification qualifications one must bring in order to receive the right to use that certification mark in conjunction with what they do. That could be one way that this thing shakes out. So, and, and I have my own feelings on my, you know, my relationship with alcohol these days, uh, but to draw a, a, a parallel there, you have the sommelier experience, right? For sure. wine. And you have the Cicerone experience for beers, right? Right. Or you have in, in every industry or for watches, you have people who can authenticate, you know, mm -hmm. things like this. Right. Where and those aren't run by some regulatory body that's going to prevent access. But people can turn to that sommelier or they can turn to that rating system and have faith in it. Right. Um, but because because these these groups have to operate in the shadows, there's no real no really great way to do that, right? Because we're still operating in the shadows in the US here in terms of running ceremony or, you know, even someone being able to go into the store and all this 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 black market, you know, psilocybin products coming out, traditional market, my apologies, traditional market psilocybin candies coming out that have not been properly tested. Half of them are using synthetic psilocybin, which is a way different experience emotionally and physically and does not have the frequency of the plant in it, in my opinion. Um, you know, the other half are using strains that are, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying bad or good, but they're using strains of of mushrooms that do not have the intended effect that the user is looking for. Right. You know, it's not per se like a golden teacher versus a penis envy versus an albino versus a hillbilly. These all have different emotional effects and have different medicine effects. You know, when people used to ask me about, well, why is cannabis strains different? And like, I like outdoor flower because that's where I believe it needs to be grown. And that's where the earth and the terpenes come to full expression and the cannabinoids versus when you pop the THC and you're manipulating the medicine. Right. But I always use the same terminology. I said, when you have a headache, 
Do you go to CVS and close your eyes, walk down the medicine aisle and just pull something off the shelf? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, it's the same thing with cannabis and, and psychedelics. Like there are actual from people taking these medicines. And especially when we start getting into strains and dichotomies of things like mushrooms and cannabis, we are seeing that there's different effects and benefits from different things, from sure. the different terpene cannabinoid profiles. We're not there with psilocybin yet and really understanding all of the constituents that are functioning in each strain of mushroom, but we should be getting there. That's really what should be our goal. So that I know if I'm battling a depression or anxiety, okay, I should be using golden teachers. If I'm trying to have a spiritual experience, maybe it's penis envy or hillbillies. Like there's different things that these, these and, and people just don't know this. They just say, yeah. okay, I have a mushroom chocolate bar and I'm going to microdose with it. Yeah. Or I have these pills. Yeah, 100%. At the at like the air quotes consumer level, yeah, they only know as much as you tell them and, and every... Big company out there would like to Walmartize or or Costcoize their product, just have this simple generic label and go home and don't ask questions. And that that's not the way to go about this. I, yeah. I agree. And by the way, for for um, young biology students looking for an opportunity in the future here for a good career, most of the psychoactive mushrooms have not been fully fractionated and studied down to each one of their constituent chemicals and alkaloids. And that is virgin territory. You could cut a career and maybe make a nice uh, PhD doctoral thesis out of it. So uh, do encourage students in biology or chemistry. There's a future in this for you. That's a lovely thought. We need more of people exploring that stuff. For sure. For sure. The knowledge is needed and, and there's not nearly enough of it yet. Yeah. But it's yeah. all coming. This is all good stuff and, and all heading in the right direction, I hope. I yeah. Hope. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. All right. We're, we're down to about 10 minutes, Isaiah. I'm going to let you pick final topic. Um, You know, I, I think, you know, the, the goal, you know, the final topic is really like, how do we use these medicines to better ourselves and better society? Putting the law aside, putting access aside, like, that's the golden question, right? Like we're not here, like we, I mentioned the recreational side and yeah, look, I'm not I'm 43 and go to a concert. Like I'd rather take four grams of mushrooms than drink these days, right? And that's that's one experience, right? But ultimately when we start talking about the medicines, the titas and the thousands of years that these people have been using these medicines in indigenous fashions, the world's in a messed up place. Like let's not beat around the bush. People are um, questioning, especially after everything we went through, they're questioning their, um, maybe their existence, maybe they're trapped. Um, but the problem is that most people are in survival mode, right? Most people are in survival mode. So if the medicines can help um, alleviate pain, anxiety, and get people to start thinking about humanizing themselves and being more spiritual. That's the question. And I would hope that, you know, that the PBA, um, that's why I, I align so much with the team. And I'm so thankful to be a part of it is on that track. You know, they're, they're, they're concerned about the access. Like we're, we're, we get so caught up in the financial side, the law side and getting these things legal, but what's the point of it? The point of it is not so people can walk around and see fancy colors all day long. The point of it is so that we can properly reestablish what it is to be part of this human race and start delineating these titles that we give to each other, whether it's based on color, religion, sex. I mean, every day someone wants to have a different title. Like, I'm human and I'm Isaiah. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know anything else, right? All these other fractionalized titles that we're coming up with, they're only creating more dissonance and, and I get people want identity. 
I get people want to have their thought process, but I also think people are having the wool pulled over their eyes because all it's doing is putting the sheep into different sections and fractionalizing us in terms of how we interact with each other. Totally, totally agree with you. Yeah, th- th- this this push for distinction and separateness is completely forcing and omitting recognition of the commonness and the commonality. And it's not individualism at all. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, I, you know, you, you mentioned earlier uh, about being Jewish but swinging kind of Buddhist. I uh, I have similar lineage, similar background, and, and yeah, this whole concept that everything is just a projection of a singular consciousness, totally get that. And I, that's where I lean philosophically. I don't think we're separate or distinct from anything in the universe. We're just parts of a singular whole. We're all part of one grand amount of energy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Um, you know, I hope that's what the, the medicine does for people. I hope it 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 reopens their their third eye. I hope it reopens, and I also understand that not not you know there's young souls and old souls, and not everyone's going to have that capability. But to prevent access is is just it's shameful as human beings at this point in time. It's it's not where we should be. Um, we know no one's jumping off a balcony, even with acid, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> no, um, I think acid is a beautiful medicine if you can use it and you have cure and, and you use it in a sparing fashion. And, um, it's not something you want to do monthly, but I have my experiences with LSD and I think it's a wonderful eye opening medicine as well. Um, but you know, a lot of people, the counterculture, the combination of people taking these medicines with alcohol, all of these things have led to this like thought process of, oh, well, what's going to happen? Is the person going to walk off in traffic and because they're on site? No, that's not what happens. It's just not, right? Yeah. Um, well, we have so uh, much work to do to, to undo the damage of the propaganda of the 50s. That's and 60s. exactly where I'm going. It's, it's just yeah. so much work. You know, you know, so, and we talk about this, right? Fact is, the CIA was using it you know, using LSD in their own programming situations, sure. right? They see it as, because they wanted to use it as how do we program these people, right? Yeah. Pro- MKUltra. They, they, MKUltra. they wanted to use right. it for mind control and discovered it was the literal opposite. <laughs> it was actually the same people who are telling you it's bad for you are trying to figure out the ways to use it as in, a, in a manipulative fashion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at one point, the uh, CIA was trying to design a plan by which they could introduce massive amounts of LSD to a municipality's water supply in an effort to take out the whole city in one just, you know, trip to the water cooler. It wouldn't work, so they abandoned it. But they, that's where they were trying to go. The flip side would happen. They would have opened everyone's heart up. <laughs> yeah, you almost wish they succeeded. Uh, I, could could you, you know, imagine? So. Although, to be fair, I do not believe anybody should ever dose somebody that's just rude and well no, frank, frankly no, would be no, described no, no. as a, an assault or a battery <laughs> if you um, do that, i so. i 100 agree people once again this is about your body and as i said at the beginning of the show as long as you know i'm not hurting anyone else or you're not hurting anyone else it's mm. of no concern to me what you do with your body i'm not here to judge you you're living your life's mission right um but everybody wants to tell everyone else how to live and that's ridiculous yep and we're we're a task of trying to liberate everybody from that. <laughs> correct, correct. So I'm so thankful that that you welcomed me on the show and that you know you guys welcomed me even being a non-practicing attorney into the PBA as well. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, 
in fairness, I'm not a board member of the PBA, so it's not for me to say whether you could or couldn't join us, but I think you should be there. Uh, yeah. I think more people should be there. And, and for those who don't know, we have a really large group. I was surprised how quickly we accreted members uh, and from all over the country and from all different walks of life. We, we've got fresh graduates. We've got really old people and a ton of everybody in between. We've got folks that are, are connected with some of the top universities and medical institutions and people who are not. So it's, it's a great mix of people, and everybody's been contributing. It's been great conversations. I've been having a good time there. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. Looking so, forward to the future. Isaiah, just uh, to wrap up here, if folks wanted to get in touch with you, how could they go about doing that? Sure. My Instagram is ISO Global. Um, and they could feel free to email me on my, um, uh, at my email, Isaiah at Amuna, E M U N A, wellness, W E L L N E S S dot com. Excellent. And yeah. depending on how I feel about this, I may let Isaiah inject me with stem cells. We'll see how it goes. The best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it won't be me. It'll be our medical team. <laughs> I, well, I'd let you do it. I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks again. I appreciate the time. I'll uh, get this edited and let you know when it's posted. Appreciate you. Have a great day. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Have a question about psychedelics and the law? You're welcome to submit them. Please send your questions to admin at psychedelicalex.com. Submission of questions is not an assurance that they will be used on the show. Also, please be aware that neither the submission of a question nor a response creates an attorney-client privilege between you and the show's host, nor does an answer constitute legal advice. Information provided is for general purposes only. If you need legal counsel, you should hire competent counsel in your community. Thank you.